0: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and ideas for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week, we'll talk about why you should plan a short trip, and we'll get to talk to Bradley Tusk, a self-described fixer in startups and politics. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And, Elizabeth, we have planned many short trips to see each other.
0: That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And, yeah, Gretsch, as far back as when you were in college, we had short trips to see each other. Yes, and we'll talk about why those were
1: so successful. But first, we wanted to let people know um, we've had so much interest in our hashtag Happier Labor Day People just want to talk about this and share their experiences and their insights and their questions. If you want more Happier Labor Day, you can listen to Side Hustle School, episodes 610 and 611, and Elizabeth, You're Happier in Hollywood, episode 68 is all about happier Labor Day. And it's a fascinating discussion.
0: Yeah. We talked about, uh, does your career define you and should it? And yeah. people have very strong opinions <laughs> on both sides. Yeah. And you and, you and Sarah are
1: on opposite sides. So it was a great discussion.
0: Right. And Gretchen, we also wanted to remind everybody to register to vote. Yes. It's coming up. Yep. And rules are different in different states. So you have to Check your own state to see when the deadline is.
1: Yeah, and I'll post a link in the show notes if you want the link to um, where you can find out the rules for your state. And now, Elizabeth, for our Try This At Home. This week, the Try This At Home is to plan a short trip.
0: Yeah, Gretch, I am a big fan of short trips. Um, I've discovered that in the last couple of years.
1: Yeah. Well, I was thinking about the short trip because when Eliza and I came out to Los Angeles over the summer, she remarked to me. She said, you know, it's funny. It wasn't a long trip, but it felt like we'd really gotten away. It felt like kind of a big episode in our summer, even though it was quite short. Mm. And that reminded me of what Dad always says about visits, that frequency is more important than duration, and sometimes I think we think like, well, if I can't do it for five days or I can't have a week, it's not worth the hassle. But really, there is a lot of value in the short trip.
0: And, you know, Gretch, sometimes you can only get away from one night. Like, yeah. for instance, just last weekend this happened. Jack's class every year takes a trip together the families and we were going to El Capitan which is um, a sort of a glamping Ugh. place outside of Santa Barbara. I assume everyone knows what glamping is. Basically it's camping but you have cabins and showers and beds so ah. you don't, you know, have to be in a tent. It's much easier. So they were going on Friday to Sunday and I had to work really late on Friday night. So, Jack and Adam went up on Friday, and I just drove up Saturday, and I have to say, I got there around noon on Saturday, and we left at 11 a.m. on Sunday, and Uh yet I felt like I'd been away for a week. It was just (laughs) in a totally different world. Yeah. Yeah experiencing totally different things. My mind was completely off work. It felt like a real adventure. Yeah, It was so effective, even though it was less than 24 hours.
1: Yeah, I bet it was just like such a departure from everything and such an intense experience. You were so overwhelmed by stimulation that it felt like a week had gone by.
0: Yes, completely.
1: Now, one of the things that I'm always looking for in my own kind of happiness project endeavors is I want to make time more memorable and vivid. I feel like I don't mm-hmm. remember my own past very well and I I really love habits and sort of having every day be exactly the same. I revel the, in that but then time just slips by so fast and you don't remember anything so I think it's important to have these When I'm thinking like, oh, it's just so much bother, I don't want to do it, I remind myself like this is the kind of thing that makes memories vivid. This is what makes life feel rich and full is when you do get out of your usual patterns and your usual habits and you do something different and that is memorable. And then you feel like you're really living your life and you can think back and remember your life, um, which is something that I always feel like is kind of slipping out of my grasp.
0: Yeah, it's also, I feel lucky because in California, it's easy to take a short trip because we have so much near us. There's the desert, mountains, beach. Yeah. It's very easy to do a short trip. For example, two years in a row, we've done this where... We drive to Ojai, which is about, I think it's like 90 miles or maybe 75 miles from L.A. And we just stay one night at the Ojai Valley Inn, um, which is like one of my favorite places. And then we've gone to the Reagan Library, which has different exhibits Jack has been interested in on the way there or on the way back. And again, even though we were only away for one night, it felt like, you know, we went to a museum, we went to the pool, we went to the restaurant, we went to the store, we walked around. It felt like we'd had a total family vacation in like 30 hours. Right. And then it's so much
1: easier. One year for Jamie's birthday. And I want to do this again this year for his birthday. I said, let's just go to a hotel in New York City.
0: Mm. Let's
1: just pick a cool place and go there. And I remember when we were packing up to go, like, we had like, our little overnight case. And he's like, it's so great because you just go and then you come home. Yes. <laughs> you don't have to gear up for like, the airport and security and snacks and the whole business. But it was exactly as if we had flown someplace for some you know, lovely romantic yeah. getaway. Um, but we, you know, we barely you know, we did leave our neighborhood, but we didn't leave Manhattan.
0: And another advantage of a short trip is it's much cheaper than a long trip. Yeah, yeah. And another thing is,
1: I think this is really helpful to think about if you're wanting to maintain relationships. And again, for me, it's Mm. like I'm so reluctant to anything that's inconvenient. Um, I have to remind myself something like, well, you know, if I could see someone even for three hours, that's really valuable. Mm. When I go on book tour, I used to have this policy where when I was on book tour, I didn't try to do anything else. I would just be very focused Mm. on my events and now I really try to say like well who do I know in Chicago who do I know in San Francisco Mm. and even though a lot of times there is a lot of hassle because like they're coming you know in Chicago they're coming from the suburb and like where are we going to meet and it's all this thing but if I see somebody for two hours for lunch it's just a short visit it still does a lot to keep that relationship alive and somebody said to me like oh you know my college roommate's going to be on the east coast and I could drive two and a half hours and see her Is that worth it? Now, I think thinking about a short trip, thinking about
0: frequency versus duration, it's really valuable. Yeah. And we mentioned this um, with my trip to El Capitan, but changing your environment is one of the easiest ways to sort of completely change your mindset or get your mind off of whatever's stressing you out. So it's just like a mental health thing to take a break from your world. Yeah. Yeah. And I would point out to anyone who just needs a break like that is like even if you go to just like a local motel
1: or, you know, or even like spending the day walking around the mall, if you don't usually do that, drive someplace that's an hour and a half away that you've never been to and you walk around like a tourist. It's just that short trip can be really refreshing. Um, So let us know if you do try this at home and how planning a short trip works for you. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes for this episode. This is 187. So you go to happiercast.com slash 187 for everything related to this
0: episode. Coming up, we've got a happiness hack about finding misplaced objects. But first, this break.
1: I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business.
0: LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Each week,
1: StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years, StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com happier. That's storyworth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase.
0: Okay, Gretch, it's time for our happiness hack. And this week, it's if you're looking for a misplaced object, it's probably right where you thought it would be. Now, this is crazy
1: but true. And I remember reading this and thinking, like, that just doesn't make sense. But it's weirdly true. So lost objects expert Michael Solomon, who knew that you could be an expert in lost objects, but so he is. He reports that most objects are right in the vicinity of where they are supposed to be or where you last remember seeing them. And again, this sounds like this doesn't make any sense or it sounds so obvious that it's laughable. But it turns out that very often it is true. If you really just go back and look where you thought it would be or where it should be, and you really, really, really look, you don't just like move a few things around or like rifle through your your purse, but you really, really look. Surprisingly often, that is where the thing is.
0: Yeah, Gretch, you told me this a few years ago, and it really stuck with me. And I use this like rule in my mind all the time, and it works. Just the other day... Adam couldn't find his glasses and we were looking all over for his glasses. And I'm like, well, you went to bed last night. They've got to be somewhere around the bed. There's just nothing else makes sense. And sure enough, eventually we found them like wedged between the mattress and the Uh wall behind the bed and they had just slipped down. But we could have wasted, you know, 45 minutes running around the house Figuring how, it's like, why would he have taken, you know, his glasses off in the garage? just makes no sense. Right, right, right. But
1: you can get into that mode of just being like so frantic that you're just looking everywhere. Um, I do this a lot of times because I have a backpack and I always put my wallet in this one very specific place. Mm. And I'm very paranoid about like, where's my wallet? Where's my phone? Where's my stuff? And sometimes I like get all worked up because I think I've lost my wallet. And I'll look in my backpack and I'll be like, it's not there. It's not there. But then I think, okay, slow down look very, very carefully in every pocket, in every possible way. Mm-hmm. And 99% of the time, it was in my backpack the whole time. It just was, it, for, for whatever reason, I didn't see it in that first kind of frantic pass.
0: Yeah, it's, it really saves a lot of time if you just first focus on that area. Yeah. Then what I find is even if I do start looking elsewhere, I if I go back to that initial place, eventually I'll find it. Look
1: closely too. Like for you, it wasn't like, oh, I'll check the nightstand. I'll check the nightstand. I'll check the nightstand. It's like, look under the bed, look to the side of the bed, look in the covers. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, my kids always do this thing where they look, 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 and then I pick up their backpack and it's under the backpack. I'm like, you got to look all around.
2: Uh, But this really
1: matters because it seems like a small thing. But one study estimated that the average American spends 55 minutes a day That is almost one hour looking for things. So first of all, put things back where they belong. And second of all, if you can't find them, look in that place. Yes. Bonus hack, if you can't find something, clean up. That's the other thing. Mm. Clean up, look where you think the thing is. It works.
0: So give it a try. Next time you can't find your keys, look exactly where (laughs) you think
1: they are. (laughs) Now it's time for a happiness interview, and here's the strange thing. Uh, When we sat down to record this interview, Elizabeth had to be called away uh, as part of her very fancy Hollywood job being the showrunner for The Fix. And so it was just Bradley and me for this conversation. Bradley Tusk is one of my husband's closest friends, and through Jamie, I've been friends with Bradley for several years. Plus, we also had the chance to work together briefly on an issue related to organ donation. He's a venture capitalist who works with startups to manage political risk. He's the CEO and founder of Tusk Ventures, the first venture capital fund dedicated to working with and investing in startups in regulated industries. In his career, he's worked with startups like Uber and Lemonade. And in previous incarnations, Bradley was Mayor Bloomberg's campaign manager in New York City and deputy governor of Illinois. He has a podcast called Firewall, where he talks to the most influential investors, policymakers, and entrepreneurs about the latest trends in the venture space, tech world, and political arena. In fact, if you want to listen to an interview he did with my elusive husband, Jamie, I will post a link to that in the show notes. As if that's not enough, Bradley also writes a column for The Observer, and if that's not enough, he just published a riveting book called The Fixer, My Adventures Saving Startups from Death by Politics. I read it in two days. So, Bradley, I'm so happy to have you here in the studio in Brooklyn with me.
3: Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: We talked about what you do, but explain it in a little more casual terms. Like, your job sounds very cool. What are you you doing day to day? Uh,
3: Day to day, I run a venture capital fund that we invest in startups and regulated industries. But the more interesting part is we then run all the political campaigns to Mm. make it possible for them to operate. So whether it's Uber being able to offer ride sharing, or Burr being able to offer scooters, or Lemonade being able to sell insurance, all of these things require some level of governmental either approval or fighting, and we're the people who do the fighting.
1: Because since they're heavily regulated, you have to deal with the regulations. It's not just like doing something where you could just do it your own way.
3: Yeah, I mean, usually, you know, my day is one of two things. It's either entrepreneur has a new idea that no one's ever thought of before, as a result, the laws are kind of silent after right. that because if the lawmakers could have thought of that, they'd be that <laughs> entrepreneurs and not bureaucrats, right? Yeah. Um, entrepreneur starts making some progress. Entrenched interest in that industry does not want competition, starts getting nervous. Entrenched interest tends to give lots of money to the politicians, uh. leans on the politicians to say, this isn't allowed. Right. And then our job is to, A, totally beat up the entrenched interest, and then, B, convince the politicians and regulators that either, yes, it is allowed, or right. if not, change the law to make it allowed. The other side of it, which is actually seems more interesting, is something like crypto or drones or autonomous vehicles where there are no regulations, there right. are no incumbents, the whole thing is brand new, and it's just what do we do? How, right. What kind of regulatory framework should there be? How should these things be regulated? What kind of laws should shouldn't we have? Um, that tends to be the more interesting conceptual part of our work. But most of the day to day is just fighting.
1: Right, right. Well, one of the things that's clear from everything you do is that you're just enormously productive in kind of a lot of er- different areas simultaneously. So you're not just working like 24 7 in one direction, you've got lots of balls in the air. So, yeah. what are? do you have some secrets to how you manage to be so productive in so many different fields? Yeah, all I the mean, time? So,
3: so I think, you know, Greg referred to, we also happen to own a political consulting firm, yeah. a casino management company, a digital archive company. I've got a family foundation pursuing different yeah. things. you got a million things. A lot of things going on, right? So one, Plus, you have two children. 12 year old and nine-year-old. Yeah, yep. you know, your Wh- wife I, who is who li- busy. Yeah, She's I, got her own... My court. wife's a professor, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and I generally yeah. like my family. I yeah. spend time with them. Um, so with all of that said, yes. a couple of things. One is, I do think it helps that I'm probably a little ADD and really feel more comfortable doing 12 different things mm. at once than one thing at once. When I'm doing one thing at once, I tend to get really bored and end mm. up starting to have trouble. So the only time in my life I've ever worked at a big company was at Lehman Brothers. Uh, I was running a group to privatize state lotteries. And the truth is I was so happy when they filed for bankruptcy because it was such a great excuse to get out of there Ah. because I was so bored. So So you thrive on variety. I thrive on a slight amount of chaos and variety, which is why I've been attracted to both technology and politics, right, which are both businesses that are sort of laden with chaos and variety. Um, But in terms of the tactics, two things I think that for me make the most difference. One is... Every day at 7 a.m., every one of our portfolio companies, every one of our clients, everything we're working on, an email goes out saying, here's what's happening mm. today. Every jurisdiction, every issue, every tactic, and it basically does three things. One, clients love it because, like, hey, you know, I'm just waking up and these guys are mm. already working on top of it. Um, two, it's quality control for me. So as my I'm CC'd on every one of those emails that my team sends out. So I know what everyone's doing. It's a good right. way to manage people. But three... Everyone's just on the same page, right? Right, right? You don't lose time all day to sort of confusion and miscommunication. Yeah. It's right there in writing. If they disagree with whatever it is, they can just speak up and say so. If they don't speak up and say so, we assume it's fine, and we just keep working.
1: And because it's every day, it keeps everything chugging along kind of at that steady state. Yeah.
3: we run everything as if it's a high-stakes political campaign. Mm-hmm. In the same structure and disciplinary organization that you see in a big presidential campaign or mayoral or gubernatorial or whatever it is is the way we try to approach every single thing we do. If if you you remember, you and I worked on a project like maybe seven or eight years ago on on organ donors, and we had success, and it's in part because even though it was a a nonprofit and it wasn't quite probably uh, as big dollars as as some of the other things that, that we were working on, we treated it like there's an election day, and we win the election if it becomes easier for New Yorkers to donate their organs, and we lose the election if yeah. we don't change the rules, right? Yeah. And so that's just kind of how we approach everything. Uh-huh. And then personally, um, at the end of the day, I don't finish a day until I've completed everything with the to-do list, uh-huh. wrote the next day's to-do list, uh-huh. and then every call, email, and text has been dealt with. Dealt with might mean responded to, it might mean forwarded to someone else to mm-hmm. deal with, it might mean this person's a lunatic and I'm choosing proactively okay. not to reply to this thing. Right. But you uh, have inbox zero, yeah, essentially. It has to be inbox zero, and part of it's just being really OCD. But um, you know, I flag emails all day if I can't deal with it at the moment. And there's no end to the day until all the flags are gone.
1: Well, one thing that's always interested me uh, about you personally, Bradley, is that your demeanor, like if I'm just sitting here with you, you have a very kind of calm demeanor. Um, you're very, very thoughtful, you're very contemplative, you kind of think about a lot of big issues, you know, as well as sort of the day-to-day and kind of, you know, you're very competitive, but you're also very kind of thoughtful in a transcendent way. And yet you're very, very comfortable with conflict. Yeah. And I feel like this is a <laughs> thing where many people are like, they just hate to be in situations where there's high conflict or where they're going to go into something where they know there's going to be just a lot of people disagreeing, there's going to be backbiting, there's just how do you manage to stay kind of calm but also i mean it's clear from the book the picture that you kind of thrive on it and you yeah. get you know so how do you not only deal with it but then kind of embrace the energy that comes from it right. and yet not yourself become just like a towering jerk
3: right so i think two things and i appreciate that you don't think i'm a jerk yeah. um, <laughs> the the first is My guess is that just my personality is somewhat conflict-friendly no matter what I did. Uh So, in a way, by running campaigns most of my time that are definitionally binary, there's two sides to it. One person wins, one person loses. That um, it kind of feeds that need, Mm. and I can almost get that out at work Uh um, without Uh then having to be... And and you can still be a really nice guy while beating up on the taxi industry or the casino industry or the hotel industry or whatever it is. Because... It's not personal, right?
1: So that's interesting. So for you, there really is a very big distinction between kind of uh, on the issues being opposed to somebody and thinking you should lose and I should win. And then also, but not feeling like it's a personal battle where I feel completely like we have to hate each other or kind of despise each other. Not yeah. only that,
3: I mean, you could even get, get meaning and fulfillment out of it, right? So yeah. my foundation, we do two things, and one of them is we focus on hunger issues, and we fund and run campaigns around the U.S. to expand school breakfast. Um, all the studies show that the same kids who don't get breakfast at home also don't get to school early to get the school breakfast, so the, uh-huh. the program is kind of useless. But when they, it's called Breakfast After the Bell, when they just hand it out in the homeroom to everyone – the numbers and the math changes dramatically, both in terms of who gets fed and then how they go about their day. So we run campaigns in lots of different states. Uh, we've passed them in seven states so far. It's about two and a half million kids have been impacted that mandate that this happens. Look, it's a campaign, right? There's right. a binary outcome. We win or we lose the campaign, uh-huh. and we've lost some as well. Uh-huh. Um, and as a result, there is a certain amount of inherent conflict in all of it, but it's conflict for good, right? Right. If we win- Right more kids get food. That's a good thing, right? So I think you can also say, especially if you or listen to this, and you are conflict friendly. Um, what are things that most people don't want to do because they don't really love conflict? Right. And if you're willing to step in and do it, A, mm-hmm. there's probably a lot of opportunity there that you might not see otherwise. Yeah. And B, you know, there's a chance to do really interesting things that sometimes can make a difference.
1: Well, and also it's this idea of like harness your nature. If you, this is something that you can do and other people can't, then this is a strength that you have that maybe other people can't. Um, and another strength I think that you have is to d- work with difficult people. You've worked with many demanding people. Yeah, Demanding people who are not difficult, um, though being demanding is a form of being difficult. And then people who are just like plain out difficult. Um, and in particular, you worked for Rob Blagojevich. I did. So refresh everyone's memory yeah. about what happened with Rob Blagojevich and how did you get through what must have been an incredibly difficult period for yeah.
3: you? Yeah, so... Um For the names that sounds familiar to the people listening to this, remember the guy with the funny hair and the name who tried to sell the Obama Senate seat in Illinois was governor of Illinois and went to jail? That's Rod Blagojevich. And he was your boss. And he was my boss. (laughs) I was the deputy governor of Illinois for four years. (laughs) And it was a crazy situation because, you know, had Rod pled insanity to his trial, I think they would have had to have given it to him. But the problem is crazy people don't think they're crazy, Uh right? He thinks he's totally sane and normal. Um, And so as a result... We had, for the four years that I was there, just kind of insanity all day, every day. By the way, sometimes fun, too. He could yeah. be a really fun guy. It's certainly
1: but, fun to read about it in your book, but, but you I'm never like, I don't knew knew think I would have
3: enjoyed it. When, when you saw he was calling you or when his, Mary Stewart, his secretary would, would call you and say, call Rod... It could be a conversation about the Cubs. It could be a conversation about the weather. It could be this paranoid rant about how everyone's trying to get him. Um, And the problem in Illinois politics is sometimes that paranoid rant is actually accurate, and everyone is trying to get you, right? right? So it was always felt like we were just dealing with both uncertainty and conflict all day, every day. And part of my job, and it was a really hard part of the job, was to say no to bad ideas, right? There's one chapter in in the book where we talk specifically about him asking me to do something illegal, which was to extort then Congressman Rahm Emanuel, Luckily, I said no and put a stop to it, yeah. and that you saved me from getting it, any trouble. And yeah, yeah. you
1: in the clear. It
3: worked out for me, but but the reality is that's one example of what was probably over four years, th- literally because it was twelve, thirteen hundred days, a thousand fights, right? Yeah. Where he would want to do something that just, even if it wasn't illegal, just stupid or yeah. crazy. So how? And did I have you... to say no. I mean, basically, I made a really hard choice, which was, I'm going to say no. My job on a day-to-day basis is going to be a lot less pleasant than it could be otherwise. I'm going to fight with this guy constantly. And there were periods where I said I can't do it anymore. I flew to New York for a week and and didn't want to go back, um, but realized that I had a pretty great opportunity. I was 29. I was getting to run the fifth biggest state in the country, and and it was a lot I got to do, but said no consistently, took all the beatings, but was able to, A, get some good things done, and B, stay out of trouble. Uh, One of the people I worked with who was the chief of staff, had a different strategy. He just said yes to everything, mm. and his view was, I'll really work the inside, internal inside game, inside politics. I'll be the favorite son, and I'll get whatever I want. What he ended up getting was was a jail sentence. Mm. Um, and not even because he was really proactively seeking to do illegal things. He just got pulled he in. He just got pulled in because he wasn't uh. willing to say no. And I get it. It's not fun to get screamed at.
1: But did you were you often in situations where you felt like you really had to think about, like, is this illegal or is this dishonorable? Were you constantly making that kind of judgment, or, or it
3: wasn't it was it at that it level? It was mainly more, is this irrational and illogical sure. as opposed to illegal and dishonorable? Right. The only clearly legal one was a time that he wanted to extort Rahm Emanuel. That was actually not that hard to deal with, because it's like, no, you can't demand a political fundraiser right. in return for a government grant. That's illegal. So for We're you, that was- That one was actually pretty easy.
1: Right, right. Now- on the podcast, Alyssa and I talk a lot about my Four Tendencies framework, yeah. which is, are you an polder, Questioner, Bledger, Rebel? And for people who don't know, I will post a link uh, to the quiz in the show notes. I think 1.6 million people have taken the quiz now. I mean, you are one of the, the smallest group, but the most conspicuous group.
3: Rebels.
1: You're a rebel. Yeah.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah I've obviously, you know. Given that, that Gretchen and Jamie are close friends of mine, I've, I've taken the test. Yeah, you, a, a yeah bunch you're of times an innocent bystander. Yes, no one. I'm not like we on the podcast, was like, huh, yeah, what's that test? Like, yeah, I, I know the test. Yeah, um,
1: no, no one escapes unscathed. He, yeah, excuse so, me.
3: Um, look, I mean, I think it actually does fit my personality pretty well. Which if you think about it, I work in venture capital, I work in technology. And the people who are really good at venture capital, it's not just because they want to make a lot of money. It's because you like blowing things up. Yes. That is what makes it fun. I'm going to take this industry that's old and stayed and not working that well and change it in 20 different ways and make everyone crazy and angry. But the end result is going to be a better way to get from point A to point B physically or a better way to order uh, goods online or whatever it is. Um, And so – one of the reasons that it rang true to me when I took the test, I've taken it a few times just to see if it yeah. changes, and it's always consistently Rebel, is um, it really does fit with my day job and kind of how I like to live my life.
1: Right. But it's interesting, like, you do use some Rebels can, don't like to use things like to do lists because they don't like that feeling of being like trapped in. But then some Rebels can use it because they're like, well, this is what I want to do. This Correct. is just a tool that helps me. How do you think through that? Because I think for some Rebels, it's like, they need to think about it in a rebel vocabulary in order to be able to use tools right. like a to-do list or a calendar.
3: So I don't know if this is totally a rebel tendency or not, but I like being in charge, right? What yeah, that's I, very rebel. So what I have learned about myself over the 44 years is, we you know that phrase, you do you. When I yeah. do me, <laughs> that's it rebel. works. It yes, really works. It, it works professionally, it works personally. And the, my whole life, when I've tried to fit myself into someone else's structure, it's kind of a failure. And that's true on a personal level and on a professional level. It's just not who I am. Right. But then once I'm doing me and I'm in charge, especially now where I've got lots of employees yes. and all kinds of stuff going on, I'm running that thing really aggressively. Right. So I mentioned the to do list I have. Yeah. I've got, you know, multiple lists where it's got lists of investments we're making, investments we're looking at, potential clients, you know, status of the book, of the TV show we're working yeah. on, every single thing. And I just go through those lists. Relentlessly. So if I'm on a boring conference call, I'm going through the list <laughs> and I'm checking in on yeah. 12 different things. You know, I have this terrible habit of waking up in the middle of the night for an hour. I go through the list. It makes right. my, everyone crazy because they wake up and there's not emails from right. me. But. I find lists to be incredibly helpful.
1: So for you, as long as you're like, this is what I want, this is how I get where I want to go, this is a tool that helps me, you don't feel that spirit of resistance because it's like, this is all coming from within. This is an expression of yourself. It's
3: it's coming from within, and it's in the furtherance of rebelling and blowing things up, right? And what what I want (laughs) is, by definition, (laughs) to disrupt all these industries. Uh, And, look, we do that. The other thing we do out of our foundation is is blockchain-based voting. We're trying to create a world where people can vote and elections on their phones. Yeah,
1: you talk about this all the time. Yeah,
3: and, you know, uh, to me, it's the only real way to kind of fix democracy. But definitionally, if there's a single thing that every politician in America will not want, it's to make it easier for them to lose their job, right? right? So, you know, even in our philanthropy, yeah. we like kind of causing trouble and stirring things <laughs> up. And so, to me, the lists and all the other tools are just means for me to further rebel.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because for some, some rebels are like that. And then for some, it's almost like they resist even what they're trying to get themselves to do. So they have to get themselves over that hurdle. Are they still functional? Yeah, they are, but they just need to find a way. So maybe they don't have a to-do list, but they have a could-do list or a might-could list or a to-da list or, you know, tomorrow list or whatever. Um, There's a lot of ways to to do it. um, But it's just interesting to hear someone who's very clearly within a tendency, but using a tool that some rebels can't use very well. And finally, we ask every guest who comes on the podcast, um, do you have a concrete, manageable, try this at home tip that you would suggest for listeners for something that makes you happier, healthier, more productive, or more creative, just like something that you do that you feel like really does boost your happiness? So.
3: Two things. One is, uh, and I learned this from the Happiness Project, I make the bed Good, excellent. Yeah, Um, ooh, Rebel making the bed. Yeah, but I I, I read that and I was like, I think this is, you know, I trust Gretchen's instincts, let me give it a (laughs) shot. And turns out you do feel a little better when you you make the bed. Uh, The other thing for me, I think, is just the, um, I feel better if my environment is kind of at peace and orderly. Mm -hmm. And so I will kind of take the time to Mm -hmm. straighten things up whether it's tangible and physical, or it's like, hey, we got to deal with this thing. We owe someone right. an answer about it. We're going to come to their party or not? Yeah. Let's just answer it, right? Yeah. Let's just do everything now. Not kind of put things off or on the list if we don't have to. Um, and I think it there's two things. One, you're a lot more efficient and productive. And two, at least for me then when I do relax, I really do feel relaxed.
1: Right, right. Well, I've got this book coming out called Outer Order, Inner Calm, and I think that is the way a lot of people feel. It's like your life is easier, but then also your leisure feels more relaxed and more, um, you you really feel like you can kick back because you're not haunted by like, oh, I should return those emails and plan that Christmas vacation and and clean up the dog toys that are all over the floor. Right. Yeah, because right, you totally. feel it. Um, well, I know Elizabeth is very sorry that she yeah, could this. Yeah, I'm so that she, sorry. I, 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 I could blame the
3: MTA and Governor Cuomo, but at the end of the day, it's my responsibility you know, well, that I was here late. Um, so this is I exactly apologize. the kind of
1: thing that fascinates her. So she, I know she really wanted to talk to you, but fortunately she can read the book yep. or she has read the book, Please I guess. Please do, yeah. So um, anyway, Bradley, thank you so much. Thanks it was so fun on. to have you in
3: to talk. Cool, thanks.
1: Now listeners, again, this interview was recorded out of sequence and Elizabeth wasn't there, but now you're going to hear her pop back up because she was able to do the rest of the recording.
0: Coming up, I give myself a gold star related to my glamping
2: trip, but first this break. Okay, Gretchen, it's time for demerits and
0: gold stars, and you are up this week with a happiness demerit. Yeah,
1: my demerit is um, related to Instagram. Now, on my mm. 18 for 2018 list, you know, the end of the year is starting to loom now. Um, I feel like now that we're past Labor Day, it's starting to feel like the end of the year is can be seen. It's mm-hmm. far away, but it can be seen. And one of the things on my list was to use Instagram more. And I do the basics. So I have gotten good about doing the basics. But there are all these, like, very interesting advanced features that are really fun to use. And I do them sort of intermittently but not enough that I get really comfortable with it so that it's easy and natural yeah. to do it. And um, it always feels like a tremendous effort to re- even remember to do it or then to try to do it. And what I know what I need to do. What I need to do is like make a plan and stick to it. And for whatever reason, I just haven't been able to make the commitment to really learning how to make the most of a tool that I really love and I really enjoy. Um, I just need to get over that initial tech. How, how exactly do I do this? you know, that feeling of reluctance that comes when you're not totally comfortable with something.
0: Yeah, I have the same, I could give myself the same demerit, Gretchen. I have not gotten past just posting pictures on Instagram. Like two people have tried to like help me do Instagram story. And for some reason, I just haven't gotten it probably exactly. It's because of exactly what you're saying, which is someone shows me and then I, don't start doing it a lot so then I it doesn't stick but
1: the thing with that Instagram is you're like if I do it a thousand times to get good at it all these people are gonna be like who is this insane person who's just doing like pull after pull after (laughs) pull after after pull anyway yeah okay well we'll both work on that um now how about so what is this glamping gold star
0: okay Gretch so as I mentioned it was the class trip for Jack's third grade class last weekend um we went glamping and I've known this trip was coming, of course, for months. It's planned months in advance. And I've also known that, you know, I have this crazy work schedule. At yeah, The Fix. Yes, for The Fix, my show, which will be premiering on ABC in the spring, <laughs> in case anyone's interested. So normally when these two things like live and, you know, are coexisting, a lot of work and a trip, I would spend weeks stressing about am I going to be able to get out of work early on Friday so that we can get to the trip on time? Because I don't want Jack to miss the trip. Oh my God. If I miss work, is everyone going to be annoyed that I'm not there? And I will literally, I could wake up in the night, um, like night after night, just stressing about how to handle the situation. I've seen
1: you get caught in a cycle like this and it, it kind of does drive you crazy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This time, I somehow I seem to be evolving. I said <laughs> Absolutely, to myself, "Yes, <laughs> yes." I said to myself, "You know what? Yeah. This is the season of sacrifice. Yeah. As, we, as we've discussed, some things are going to have to give." Yeah. Rather than drive myself insane, I'm just going to know that Friday night, the writing is on the wall. I'm going to have to work very late. I'm going to just have Adam and Jack go up by themselves and I will drive up and meet them on Saturday. And, you know, I don't like driving, but Santa Barbara happens to be a drive I'm comfortable with. So that helps. But I told Adam on like Monday or Tuesday, I'm going to have to meet you guys on Saturday. And then he got some, you know, Daddy Jack time, which he always loves. So he was fine with that. And it really worked out because Adam and Jack just took the train up. Oh, So then I drove up. So we were all still able to drive back together. Ah. So once I was there, we were totally together. So that was a really uh, nice thing about it as well. But I was just proud of myself for letting go and just saying, you know what? If I'm not there Friday night, I'm not there Friday night. The world will go on. I have to focus on the job and everyone will be fine. And then I got there, and it was as if I'd been there the whole time. You know, you just get kind of right into what's going on.
1: Well, it's this point about a short trip is like it was two, one night instead of two nights, but one night is still a lot, and you, and the, the value of the short trip. Then Jack got to take the train, which he loves to do. So it's also yeah. by accepting it and thinking like, okay, well, how can we just deal with this in kind of a calm way with a little bit of advanced planning? Then that also made it easier to just handle the logistics, than to like sort of keep it up in the air and this kind of frantic thing and can I pull it off and could I do it where you'd be so worked up emotionally yeah I think you're so right to give yourself a gold star because you just were very matter-of-fact about it you know where you're like yeah this is how things are gonna have to shift a little bit and that's fine and I we can still have a great time and I think you had a lot more fun because you set yourself up in a way so that you weren't so emotionally drained in the whole lead-up to it
0: Yes. And I was also in a much better mood at work because sometimes I can be sort of storming around at work, you know? Yeah angry, like, I'm supposed to be glamping right now, and I'm here. Right. Or the- Instead, I was just like, oh, I'm driving up Saturday morning. And then it was also interesting, Gretch, because Friday night was like the first night I ever spent alone in our house, Ooh. at least since Jack was born. Interesting! So that was kind of interesting, too. Yeah. Well, and then
1: also, the thing about, it's like, in the morning and work, when you're trying to meet that deadline, when you really can't, like, can I get out by three? Can I get out by three? If you would stop yeah. talking, if this meeting would be cut short, if we could move this to Monday, it's like, you could just spend so much time and anxiety trying to do something where it's like, okay, realistically, it's just not going to happen. You know, you can fuss all you want. And if everybody cooperated, it would be amazing, but they just won't because you can't get 100 people to cooperate with you. So, um, So gold star to you. Well done. Thank you. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Plan a short trip. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked
0: for you. Thank you to our producer, Cameron Drews. Also, thank you to Andy Bowers and Kristen Meinser of Panoply. Thank you to our terrific guest, Bradley Tuss. Read his new book, The Fixer, and listen to his podcast, Firewall. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Kraft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com.
1: And as always, if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend. We love hearing from people who are like, I've turned on all my friends to your podcast. That's amazing. Um, And subscribe to us, however you get your podcast. The resource for this week is a big one. My Four Tendencies video course, which I've talked about before, is now open at a discounted rate. For a very limited time, I'm offering $20 off. So if you go to courses.GretchenRubin.com You can register for the five-week course for $79. Um, That's $20 less than usual. Um, But you have to register by midnight on Thursday, September 20th, 2018, to get the discount. That's Thursday, September 20th by midnight Pacific time. And you'll also, if you register by then, you get the two live Ask Me Anything calls. When I did this last spring, uh, more than 3,000 people took the course. It seems like they really, really liked it, if I do say so myself. Um, And so we're opening it up again (laughs)
0: Gretchen, I love seeing this on Instagram about your Four Tendencies course. Someone who took it, Margarita, said, It's hard for me to express in a single Instagram comment just how drastically the ideas in this book, also your online course, love, have changed the way I do life. This rebel thanks you from the bottom of my often resistant heart. <laughs> I
1: thought that was great. Love that. Um, so again, that's courses.gretchenrubin.com. And I'll post a link and all the information in the show notes as well.
0: Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft.
1: And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward.